I'm starting a new series today. I'm starting a new series today. The passion in this room is untrue. You're all sitting there going, I'm just having a great conversation with my next door neighbour, and that's absolutely fine if you are. So we have been in a series on Kingdom Carriers, which has just finished last week. We are going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. So if that's in the Old Testament. Some of you are like, I've never heard of that book, and that is absolutely fine if you haven't. But if you've got a Bible and want to grab it, why don't you turn to the book of Nehemiah? It's about a third in, probably is the easiest. And it's, it's an amazing book. It's an inspiring book about overcoming overwhelming odds. Uh, and what happens during the, the course of the book is that Nehemiah is burdened by the Lord, that the Lord puts a vision in his heart that he cannot but see come to pass. But in the process of doing that, he's going to have to overcome thing after thing after thing after thing. And so it's a story of victory in, in the midst of a battle. I've, t- I've titled this talk, Burdened for the City. And so who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And I can't decide whether this is the worst or the best job in history. You know, when you were filling, I don't know whether you ever did this when you were younger, filling out, you, know, you fill out these forms of what you're going to be in life. They really got me while they told me I was going to be an accountant. <laughs> Anybody that knows me well, I, I did try it actually. It wasn't very good. But so just thinking about this idea of cup bearer to the king, what, what did that look like? Well, they got to try the wine and the food before the king got to try it. And, and I suppose thinking about whether it's the worst job in history is really around whether there's poison in the food or not. So if there's poison, you're dead. But then I was also just thinking about how, how it would be if you only ever got, you looked at this amazing wine and this amazing food, but you could only ever try a mouthful. That would absolutely suck, wouldn't it? So anyway... The jury's still out on whether I want to be a cupbearer. But to give you a little bit more context, because I think sometimes when you go into the Old Testament... Wow. That is the word of God. Right there. Do I need it? It's just in me, Alice. Do I need the book? Yeah, it would be quite helpful. (laughs) From somewhere in Nehemiah. Um... And so I I really do need to give you some context to the book of Nehemiah because we could just dive into it and we could get about 10 minutes in and you could be sitting there going, I have absolutely no idea what's going on here. And the book of Nehemiah is one of those occasions. And so I want you to, I'm going to give you a three minute history to go back. About a thousand years before Jesus, BC, there was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Israel ends up splitting There were 12 tribes at this point, and they just weren't getting on very well. So they were fighting, but you can't imagine that for a moment. And so what happened is 10 tribes ended up going north, and two tribes ended up going south. So you ended up with two kingdoms. And you see this throughout the whole of the Old Testament. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You've got Israel at the top, and you've got Judah at the bottom. And so what happened, the northern kingdom had bad king after bad king after bad king. It's like this relentless, as you read it, it's like, and there was another bad king, and there was another bad king. 
And so what happened was, in the process, the people ended up turning their backs on God in the northern kingdom. And they were like, do you know what? We're going to worship other things. We're going to worship man-made idols. And in the process, God said, you know what? I'm going to take my hand off you as a people. I'm going to take my favor off you. And so the Lord kind of withdrew. And in 722 BC, the Assyrians invaded. And this is important about the Assyrians because the Assyrians invented this new thing called exile. And so what happened is when they invaded, they, they'd come into your city when they'd won the battle, they would then strip that, let's say, that town or the city. They would take all the best leaders from that place and they would make them leave. So what would happen is they'd come in one night, the next night or the next day or week, all of their best leaders would, would leave. They could take anything that they could find and then they had to move. And so what happened was the people were absolutely scattered, scattered all over the place. They had to leave and go to all of these different places. So when you're reading the Old Testament, you're seeing often the, just this lament, you know, of, oh, by the, the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept for Zion. It's these moments where they're like, oh, we've been taken out of our context. So you've got these people who've been dispersed everywhere. So that happens with the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom fares a little bit better in Judah, and it does better for a while. Um, they had some good kings. They had a guy called Hezekiah, and you can read about that in 1 Kings. And there's this amazing story about Sennacherib, I think that's, that's the word, and this invasion. But then God's hand is with them, and there's this amazing moment where 2 Kings 19, and he ends up saving all of the people. It's just an amazing story. But the, so the southern kingdom held firm for a long while until about 589 BC. And then the Babylonians invaded. So you might have heard, heard of something called the Babylonian exile. And they invaded Judah, and they destroyed Jerusalem and um, the, the Temple of Solomon. So all of the things that they spend this time building, they're, they're great things. The Babylonians come in, and they just flatten them. And then they take the people into exile again. So it's almost like ripping the heart out of a nation is what's going on in this moment. And so that's context. About 70 years after the first Babylonian invasion, Cyrus, king of Persia, we've had a bit of a change by now. So we've had the Assyrians, we've had the Babylonians, and now we've got the Syrians. That's right. As, no, Syrian. Cyrus. Persia. Persians. Persians. I'm getting mixed up. Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians. There we go. So another superpower has taken over. And Cyrus, king of per Persia, is really sympathetic to the Jews. And he said, you know what? I don't mind you going back and rebuilding your city. He's like, that's amazing. And so you've got these two books really close together. You've got a book called Ezra and you've got a book called Nehemiah that would have probably been one book and would have been one book. But, and you've got this guy called Zerubbabel who goes back in to try and rebuild Jerusalem. So it goes back, and that's the first time. And so Nehemiah comes into the context where there's been some ventures back to rebuild this the, Jerusalem. But the problem is there are no walls at this time. And so this is the context in which Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. So he's nowhere near this. But he hears this story of what's going on. So we're going to pick it up. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, it's just an awesome sentence, isn't it? 
Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So he's asking them, what, what happened to the people that were left, that were left in Jerusalem? What, what's going on with them? They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Bad situation. And when I heard these things, this is Nehemiah, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he's heard news of what's going on. And in this moment, Nehemiah is absolutely undone. He is broken. He is burdened. It hits his heart. And you can see from the rest of the book that Nehemiah is not just a natural crier. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, Nehemiah is probably pretty emotional. It's like, no, there's this deep moment. And it comes out of this shame of, God, what are you going to do? God, you're going to have to break in. God, you're going to have to overcome. Desperate, desperate moment. And this burden led him into a period of prayer and fasting. A burden for God to be honored and glorified. The people were in disgrace. And so what's happening in this moment is there is this huge burden. Burden then often leads to vision. Out of burden is birthed vision. So there's, and, and this during my whole experience of how the Lord works has been my story of how the Lord has really spoken. What happens is the first thing is that God comes and breaks your heart for something. It's just this breaking moment. It's like this undoing moment. I think about just in terms of us coming to start this community. It came out of a moment of absolute brokenness. We were in a conference. Somebody started just, there's a guy called Jay there, and he was talking about God's heart for people that don't know Jesus. And in that moment, Jen, my wife in particular, was just undone. For three days, she wept. It was, and Jen's not a crier either, like Nehemiah. I'm not going to put them together. I don't know Nehemiah. But um, just that moment, just undone. And for the next month, we were just undone. We didn't know exactly. We were just like, oh, there's just this stirring of God. We are broken. Lord, you are doing something in us. When um, another example would be when way back I started something called DTI, Dreaming the Impossible, which is a youth festival. And it's amazing seeing what was very small beginnings when I started it and what God's done with it. But in that moment, it came from a burden for young people. It was um, the, particularly the 11 to 14 generation. For me, I don't know that any of you have spent time with 11 to 14-year-olds, but it is brutal. <laughs> it is so hard, that stage of life. You know, that mo you know, some people are like, I find it so difficult. I'm like, oh, I love it. When people just don't know whether what way is up and what way is down, the hormones are kicking in, everything's kicking off. And it's like, God, we need something for this generation and this this people, and so it was. Again, it's this burden. Again, um, I, I could. I guess the point I'm making is, I, I could point to story after story that has occurred, and that the Lord has done something from a place of burden. Burden leads to vision. It's a birthing moment. God overwhelming us. Um, so for Nehemiah, just coming back into the story. Nehemiah's concern over Jerusalem consumed him and he responded in a way that any godly man would by prayer and fasting. That was, that was where he wept about the situation. He sought God. And what's often really 
easy to do in these moments is often when God breaks us, the first thing that we want to do is share it with everybody around us. I think sometimes what the Lord wants to do just in that moment is he begins to break us. And it's just like, this is between me and the Lord. This is something that the Lord is doing in my soul. And this is a precious moment. And sometimes it's just being aware of what that burden looks like. He didn't share his burden straight away. And so after the Lord had stirred his heart, Nehemiah prayed and planned. And do you know what? There was nothing that he could do in that moment. He's, a, he's miles away. He's in a completely different situation. He was in Persia in the wrong place with the wrong job working for the wrong guy. That's what you need to realize. This was the most ridiculous vision that ever happened. I mean, it's not like Nehemiah sitting there going, I'm an engineer and I know how to rebuild walls. He's the cupbearer to the king. And God's saying, I don't care. I am putting something in you that is for this. He didn't have any resource. He didn't have any favor. He was, a, he was an absolute nobody in the nicest possible sense of the word. The Lord loved him. But he was nobody. But the Lord said, I have got, I've got something for you. I'm putting something on you. I'm breaking you for something. But he wasn't inactive. Because I think sometimes in that moment, what happens is when we begin to be burdened for something, it's very easy to just begin to push it down. Nehemiah could have done that, couldn't he? He could have been like, it's just not going to happen. What do we do in the moment when God begins to break us? All that we can do is get to our knees. That's, that's where we have to go. Prayer and fasting. That's what Nehemiah does. That is a brilliant, brilliant template. When everybody, some, whenever somebody comes to me and they say, do you know what, the Lord's breaking me for something, what would my advice be? Fast. It's a moment. There's a moment that something's doing. You need to pray and fast. You need to go away. Why is it that fasting helps in those moments? Because they're almost us putting ourselves before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm going to do everything to listen to your voice in this moment. Lord, are you asking me to do something about it? Are you just asking me to pray? Or is there something else that you're asking me to? Is there more that you're asking me to do? Lord, you're speaking. Your servant is listening. I love that phrase. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's what happens when we begin to fast and pray, is that we just set ourselves apart. We consecrate ourselves before the Lord and we say, Lord, speak. I know that you're doing a work. Prayer helps us to inquire of the Lord. And then what happens is the Lord begins to put his heart in our heart. There's this impartation moment. It's like just this, I am giving you my heart. Yes, we live with the Holy Spirit in us all of the time, but there are moments when the Lord wants to kind of specially give us his heart for something. He's like, I want you to see the way that I see. I don't know whether, do you know, I had a really interesting experience last Saturday when we we were doing all the Love Cardiff stuff. And um, I like to, how do I put this? I... I went and did some street stuff with my two little girls, uh, Izzy and Ellie, who are five and seven. And it's, it was, it, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I just felt like the Lord saying, you need to go and do this. What's interesting about putting yourself in that situation is just the, you, the openness to the Lord. And it's changed the way that I think about things in the sense that God can speak in any moment of any day. Now, I know that. I lead a church. I tell people that. <laughs> regularly the lord can break in in any moment of any day but there is something different about being activated in the kingdom where you live like that where you're like the lord could speak every in any moment of any day when you walked in 
to this room this morning, be really honest with yourself. What was your expectation that the Lord wanted to speak to you? I don't know. You, you know, for some of you, are like you were coming, it's like, I'm thirsty. Speak, Lord. For others of you, you're here. But I genuinely believe that the Lord wants to speak. And he wants to open you up. And do you know what? As a people, it's not Pete needs to be burdened. You know, Pete, who just spoke. It's not that Pete needs to be burdened for the city. I genuinely believe that the Lord wants to burden all of us for this city. Because this is the place that he's put us in. And he wants us to care about his city. Now, what that will look like will look utterly different for all of us. I don't know whether you've heard of something called the seven mountains of culture. Something you might have done. Um, but there's a whole load of different things. Because sometimes when I'm talking, it could be, oh, the Lord just wants to burden you for church. I don't think that's what it is. The Lord wants to burden you for this city, and that will look utterly different for all of us. For some of you, it will be something within church. For some of you, it will be something within business. For others of you, it will be media. For some of you, it will be family. For some of you, it will be education. Thinking through these different areas where the Lord just, he's like, I've put you in this place for a reason. Arts and entertainment will be another one. I've put you here. I've put you as, as a missionary. I've put you as the person that I love in this position for a particular reason. I've placed you. I've got you by, I've got you where I want you. But so often we just begin to stand back. And so for me, as I've been reading this book of Nehemiah, it's awakened this burden again. As you read that book, you know, Nehemiah wept and he fasted. And I, I'm just like, oh, Lord. So let me ask you another question. What is it that you weep about? What is it that makes you weep? What is it that burdens you? And the answer might be nothing. And that's absolutely fine. This isn't a judgmental moment. The answer might be, do you know what? I am not broken for anything right now. But I do genuinely believe that the Lord wants to break us for a city. And it's out of that place of brokenness. And some of you are like, oh, I don't live in the city. Well, the village or wherever it is that you happen to live. But we're a sent people. We've been commissioned. We've been given everything that we need in the Lord. And so what's amazing is we look at this book of Nehemiah and we see the journey that Nehemiah goes on. Do you know how long it took him to rebuild the walls? You might be sitting there. People had tried before. They'd had a go and it had failed. You might be sitting there going, it probably took him five years. It might have taken him three years. Do you know that it took Nehemiah 52 days to rebuild the walls? 52 days. The reason why these walls were such a huge deal was because without these walls, you were utterly open. It was like there were no police. There was nothing to stop in the way from raiders coming in and taking stuff. And that people were just open. So Nehemiah is like, that is not all right. I don't want people to live like that. And that's what it feels like when the Lord begins to break you for something. You sit there and you're like, that is not all right. I can't continue to live like that. And then at the, that moment, we get down onto our knees and we say, Lord, break my heart. The Lord might already be doing that. For some of you, there are some things that have lying dormant and you've put them aside. And I just believe that the Lord would want to stir those things again. What is it that you weep about? 
What is it that keeps you up in the night? What is it that bothers you? Often the place of our greatest burden is where the Lord most wants to work. So I'm excited about this book of Nehemiah. He's an amazing man. And we get to see this journey of how is it that he pulls off this ridiculous vision from being over here. And the first thing that he does, and I'm going to finish with this, is that he asks for the favor of the Lord. He asks for the Lord's favor. Sorry, not the Lord's favor. He asks for the favor of the king. Let me just come back into the passage just as we finish. Down in verse 4 which is when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there. And bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants to delight and revere in your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. What did Nehemiah do? He sat there and was like, I need favor. I can't pull this off. God, you are going to have to do a miracle. Lord, you brought this up. You are going to have to provide the resources. You're going to have to provide everything that I need in order for this to happen. And so he asked for favor. Like, Lord, if you want to pull this off, I need favor from the king. And he came before the Lord. And then what we'll go on to see in the journey of this story is that the king's like, go, go. Go and do it. I release you with my blessing. This is what you, why are you looking so sad? And he says, go and do it. And it's amazing. Why don't we stand? I want to invite the Holy Spirit.